everybody. My name is Pastor Brian Flammy of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, and you're listening to Voice of the Pecos, a monthly theology, theology digest from your local Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations. In towns like Roswell, Carlsbad, Riodoso, Hobbs, Portales, Clovis, and Lovington, all here in southeastern New Mexico. Joining me today is Pastor Kyle Brown, somebody I've had to cajole and compel to be my co-host here. He's from Grace Lutheran Church in Hobbs and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Lovington. How are you doing, Kyle? Hi, Brian. I'm doing pretty well. Not too bad, all things considered. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, so the point of this whole show is I see it and envision it is that it gives us as a, ch a chance as members and pastors of uh, the Pecos Circuit here in the Rocky Mountain District of the Missouri Synod to keep in touch with one another and to stay on the same page theologically, which is always good. It's always good to have concord, to be hearing and believing and confessing the same things. That's what we, that is really our church fellowship. You know, it's not so much that we all belong to an organization called the Missouri Synod. It's that we believe, teach, and confess the same things. And I think that this will give us a good opportunity to do it in a fun sort of a way. Uh, and the first thing I would like to talk about today, and, and I'll direct this at you, Kyle, is uh, right now we're in an interesting time in the year 2020 uh, oh. here in the United States. A global pandemic has come to our, foot, our, our, our doorstep, uh, the COVID-19 virus. And I was wondering, uh, what is going on in your, in your churches because of this virus? What changes have you guys had to, to make in response to all of this? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as uh, beforehand, when all of this kind of hit, churches were, of course, uh, exempted from the mass gathering limitations. Uh, and so uh, we've got two fairly small congregations here in Lee County and Hobbs and Lovington. Uh, and we've got more than enough room to spread out. So, so we were we were social distancing and and uh, avoiding things like passing the offering plate and all of that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know that Saturday night, Holy Saturday night before Easter, uh, we were, I guess, de-exempted is the word from that maybe. And so we've had to find alternative solutions here. Uh, and what we have gone with actually is a, a parking lot service. So I have a small portable. FM transmitter uh, that I can wear. It's just a small lapel mic uh, that will transmit my voice over the radio waves. And uh, people, the parishioners, can drive up into the parking lot, tune in, tune into 101.7, uh, and hear the whole service in that way. We have a little makeshift altar and makeshift pulpit outside. It's not really ideal, but you know, that's what we've got to do for the time being. And thanks be to God, we're in southeast New Mexico, so the weather. It's pretty good, actually, all things considered. It's amazing to me the different things that churches are doing to stay basically in the word and uh, giving folks, uh, you know, continued access to the sacraments. That's right. Uh, That's right. And I think that it's not the same in, at any particular congregation. And, and uh, you tell me if I'm wrong about this or not, but I don't think that's necessarily a problem because... Well, state by state, the laws are different. You know, the governors are exercising different levels of tyranny. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, congregation by congregation, uh, just the, the there may be uh, particulars of that given location that make 
a gathering in a parking lot either feasible or unfeasible. One of the nice mm-hmm. things that, that you have is this FM radio transmitter. That's right. Uh, otherwise, you'd have to try to rig a sound system outside, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that may or may not work in our New Mexico high wind environment. I don't right. know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was one of the uh, early things that we had to uh, discover how to get around was dealing with the wind uh, and pretty well just tying everything down, you know? Mm. Otherwise, it blows all over. So, That's but right. It's not too bad. So, But that is an interesting thing that you brought up there is that uh, one of the things you, you had mentioned that we are a group of churches, of course, that are uh, that are kind of walking together, which is, of course, the meaning of synod, right? Uh, walking together on the same way. Uh, and you see that every individual congregation has a different response to this. And that's very different from our uh, from the Roman Catholic Church, which which all goes together with their bishops, right? Um, in this way, you have kind of a more specified response depending on how each uh, county and town and congregation is dealing with this. And I, I think that's great. Yeah, we we push the authority of how or not how to conduct services so much, but uh, the the occasions for the services. And uh, how the frequency of the services, that all belongs to the authority of the local congregation. That's right. And that is, and that is very Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's been a part of our polity from the very mm-hmm. beginning. Mm-hmm. Having, the, having yeah. struggled with bishops in the past, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So we've centralized uh, the control in the estate of the church. Uh, uh, we Instead of uh, investing someone with... Uh, 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 with like Matt Harrison, our, our president of the synod, with the power to say, you will have services on this day at this time. Mm-hmm. Instead, we, we recognize that uh, the church in any given place has that authority and they should exercise it uh, in, in a way that's best for the congregations. Now, the question mm-hmm. is, is it possible to have this kind of decentralized authority and yet at the same time to have a united confession of faith? Uh, mm-hmm. To have, uh, uh, you know, uh, the churches that believe, teach, and confess the same things. I think that's 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 been the question for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod for these last, oh boy, how, no, how long now? Almost 200 years, not quite. And uh, I think that by and large, we've walked that line, line pretty well. Um, you know, we've gone through our ups and our downs. The 1970s were a pretty hairy time. Uh, and yet the word of the Lord prevails. And I think that our focus on the, on the word of God and, and on the, the word as interpreted through the, the confessions of the Lutheran Church the, in the Book of Concord, all of that has really helped to centralize us, in, even though we have this kind of decentralized polity. Absolutely. Hey, look, and check this out, too. Um, in the Augsburg Confession, uh, which was uh, the confession made before Emperor Charles V, in the year 1530, where the Lutheran princes defended the churches of their realms and confessed their united, uh, you know, stance on theology or their, what they together uh, believed from the, the preaching of their churches. This is Article 7 concerning the church. The church is the assembly of saints in which the gospel is taught purely and the sacraments are administered rightly. Think about that. If you belong to a church where the gospel is preached purely, that it is not mixed together with doctrines of law or works, right? 
mm-hmm. uh, and the sacraments are administered rightly, which means according to Jesus's institution, according to the institution revealed in the Holy Scriptures, then guess what? You are in fellowship and you belong to the same church. It, it says this, and it is enough for the true unity of the church to agree concerning the teaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. So that is at the at the same time, very specific and also very broad. So we have to have agreement on what the gospel is, right? I mean, there's no way around it. No, absolutely. So if I go to a confirmation class at your congregation, and I should expect to hear the same things about the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, uh, I should expect to hear the same things about what the gospel is, what the law is, right? That's right. Okay, and, and but what that also means is that we have a lot of freedom, potentially, uh, to decide things that aren't uh, identified with the gospel, like service times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. You know? And so we, and as we Lutherans, and we should uh, give thanks to God for this, we as Lutherans have a lot of flexibility in adapting to this time of uh, coronavirus crisis. That's right. While at and the same any- time, everything that belongs to the uh, to the church. We, we have lost nothing of the gospel, I don't think. And we still have the ability to uh, baptize and to, uh, and to give Jesus body and blood to those who desire it, just as Jesus has commanded. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what you see uh, our church is doing in response to this pandemic, is emphasizing above all the word and the sacraments, right? Preaching the gospel and rightly administering the sacraments. Uh, we're going to do those in, 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 in any way that we can. Rightly. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of the, sometimes we get worked up in, in our churches over various programs, policies, and uh, traditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, like coffee after the service at a specific time. And yeah. these various kinds of donuts are offered because that's what we've always done here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. That, that is not the gospel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're so nice. Lose, yeah, it's nice. It might be good. And, it might, and it, we, we should have it come back, I think, if we, if we think it's helpful. And, and uh, you know, it's just for friendly conversation Certainly. and fellowship. But our true fellowship is hearing and believing the same thing. That's right. Very that's good. And that's what we're seeing, too, uh, you know, the end of Article 7 there. It's not necessary that human traditions, rites, and ceremonies instituted by human beings be alike everywhere. And that's one thing that we're seeing with this uh, coronavirus pandemic and our church's response is they don't have to be the same everywhere. Right. Very good. Uh, let's, uh, let's see. So you have the drive-in services in the parking lots. I know that... Um, other congregations in our circuit have continued to meet on Sundays, but because their attendance, because their smaller congregations is small enough, they've been able to kind of go ahead without many changes other than just, hey, let's not shake hands sort of a right. thing. Or, right. Uh, not pass the collection plate like you're, like you're saying. Here in Roswell, uh, because I, we uh, on a good Sunday, we have around 100 folks who come or, or a little bit more. Uh, the original plan was to have five services over the span of the week, and folks would come according to their elder zone. We have five elder zones, okay. and that would keep the the size of the service to around twenty people or so. 
Mm-hmm. But like you said, because of the governor's orders and her insistence on gatherings closer to five people, we quickly had to move off of that plan. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing uh, uh, word and sacrament by appointment, uh, which if it's just passive, you do say, OK, folks, make an appointment. I, I, it'd be really hard to do that. But mm-hmm. if you work the phones a little bit, which I and my members who might be listening uh, will know that I have been doing a little bit of that, calling around, seeing how folks are doing, encouraging them in letters and also conversation to come and to take advantage of word and sacrament that's still here. Yeah. And it's actually been working out very, very well. I've been, in fact, enjoyed uh, the one-on-one attention that I've been able to give certain families. Good, yes. That is- We're hoping that sometime within this next month uh, that the governor will have mercy <laughs> <laughs> and release us from the strictest of the, of the requirements to the point where we can at least according to the letter of the law and in good conscience meet together and, uh, uh, in, in such a way that we know that we're not, you know, flagrant, flagrantly uh, going against her orders. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and it, it would be nice, you know, if we, if we were able to even meet according to a standard, like 20% of our, you know, building capacity or something like that, that, that even that would make things a little easier. So I'm not hopeful that that would happen, but uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, well, it's something to pray for. Uh, that's that's right. the, one of the things that this situation has been teaching us to do, and that is to, to pray, I think. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. Very good. Well, uh, that is uh, our conversation about talking about the gospel and, and uh, preaching the gospel in our, in our context and our time and place here in eastern New Mexico. One of the other things that I would like to use this show to do is to talk about the history of the confessing evangelical Lutheran church in this part of New Mexico. And uh, we have a great historian uh, who is a pastor in our circuit. He's a retired pastor, uh, Scott Blazik of Clovis, New Mexico. And I'm hoping that in the future that we can have him on here to talk about uh, what he knows about the churches in this part of the country. Uh, But until we are able to get Pastor Blazik to join us, I have, through going through file cabinets, (laughs) filing cabinets here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, I have found a report on work in the Pecos Valley, that is on missionary work or church work in the Pecos Valley, dated uh, March of 1921 by Pastor Erwin Umbach. (laughs) <laughs> 99 years ago that's great yes 99 years ago uh just over 99 years ago he submitted this report uh to the lutheran church missouri synod on how to proceed in in planting and sustaining churches in our circuit in what we know as today as the paco circuit of the rocky mountain district i love this so much because i have been asked so many times how is it that there are lutherans in southeast new mexico of all places and not just any Lutherans, but Missouri Synod Lutherans. It does surprise people. That's a great question. Um, And this is a starting place. There's so much to the story, and it's a story about families more often than not. Sure. Uh, So there there are founding families of this congregation, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, uh, that were instrumental to the, you know, the the foundation of the church, the construction of the buildings, and the ongoing uh, membership of the church, right? 
uh, and their families are, are part of the community in as much as they are part of the congregation too. Mm-hmm. This is something a little bit that, that goes a little bit before that. Uh, the, the, the emphasis here isn't so much on the families. What it is, is one pastor's perspective uh, uh, during, uh, during his time living in New Mexico, in Roswell, New Mexico, traveling around, visiting the towns, trying to find Lutherans. And what's surprising about this is it seems like he wasn't able to find any. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? Right, right. Okay. So anyways, here's something that he writes. Uh, uh, he, uh, he says, uh, many of the people who live in the Pecos Valley have taken up claims. Now, claims is a word that includes like they've taken up plots of land to work and to farm and to, and to ranch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they leave again when they have proved up their claims, when they've used up the land, I guess. I guess many acres so. are found. Uh, people apparently came for the weather. Hmm. Uh, does that make sense to you? Would you come here for the weather, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess at least there's no snow. so Or not, not right. much. Not much snow. I do have a handful of members uh, who, who do, in fact, uh, uh, live here in Roswell. They reti- retired to Roswell uh, because of the mild climate. So I know that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's, he continues to write, nowhere excepting along the railroad do towns of any size spring up. The majority of the people come from the states of Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. Oh, man, Pastor Blazik would love that. uh, Scott is, of course, from Louisiana. Although people from every state in the Union may be found, the Southern people are less apt to prove Lutherans than is the case where settlers come from the Northern states. That still is true to me. Yeah, that's right. The wide stretches of plains are devoted chiefly to cattle grazing. Still true today. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. The, the towns supply the needs of the ranchers and have been built up often by persons attracted to this region by the climactic advantages, especially in the case of tuberculosis. Oh. See, there you go. There's your health seeker explanation. That's right. And thanks to antibiotics, I don't think that tuberculosis is, is as much of a, a health crisis as it certainly must have been back then. No, that's right. And you have to realize my only historical context for this is watching the movie Tombstone. <laughs> and, uh, seeing Doc Holliday, you know, cough up blood every now and then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh. All right. He continues to write from Roswell to Carlsbad, an area perhaps 75 miles long and 20 miles wide is irrigated and here splendid orchards and farms may be found. This is the most thickly settled portion. Waters obtained to the north in the vicinity of Roswell from the artesian wells, while to the south in the vicinity of Carlsbad, the government irrigation program program, uh, projects on the Pecos River supply the water. Hmm. And then he goes, uh, this guy must be a real German because he ends every uh, nice sounding uh, handful of phrases or sentences with something sounding dour. He says, Ah. the irrigated area is diminishing rather than increasing. (laughs) Not much hope for the future there. I guess not. (laughs) No, this is true today. Um, Have you flown into Roswell yet, Kyle? Uh, No, I've not flown into Roswell. It's kind of cool. If you do it at night, and you fly in from Dallas, it, there's nothing underneath you. It's just black. 
There's nothing out here. But as you draw closer and closer to the the Pecos Valley, it looks like a sprawling metropolis. Mm. But of course, there's not a big metropolis there. What you have are these uh, uh, these farms, and on top of the farm and on the farms, you have these big irrigation uh, booms. You know that that go across Mm -hmm. the field, and they Uh have and they're just they're covered by these strobe lights. Oh, really? You can see the grid of the farms and the and the streets. And uh, uh, you can see the strobe lights from the irrigation. And yeah. it looks like a, a massively populated area. And it's right there in, in what, the, what Pastor Umbach said, wow. in the area between Roswell and Carlsbad. Hmm. Okay, let's see. Oh, here he goes uh, to, to continue his assessment. Your missionary was led to believe, <laughs> apparently, you don't start a sentence like that unless you are trying to convey a little bit of ire, I think. Before oh, yeah. taking up residence at Roswell, that the Pecos Valley was attracting many settlers and that a large influx of new people was taking place. Huh. <laughs> you see, you, you kind of hear the same stuff happen today, right? I mean, when you were moving into to Hobbs earlier this year, Mm-hmm. Uh, did you get a, a whole spiel about how the area is growing and this sort of thing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, now primarily because of oil. Yes. Which I don't yeah, think had quite been discovered at that point. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah he he, he says, my experience gives no foundation for a belief, such a belief. <laughs> there are newcomers coming, he writes. But more because the entire population is of the floating type. Oh, they must be vagrants, hobos, those sorts of folks. Real growth is slow. The few large towns are increasing at a normal rate and are now almost as large as the county with its industry of grazing, with its industry of grazing can support. Often their growth is at the expense of the smaller hamlets which retrograde. So the idea there is that as Roswell gets bigger, right, uh, mm-hmm. a town like uh, what's nearby, uh, uh, the, the, the Dexter, let's say, which is directly to our south, that would be diminished, you know. So it's not so much anything's growing, but people are consolidating in the towns. That's as, yeah, as it tends to happen. Hmm. Then he gives a handful of figures showing that uh, the ta- region isn't growing all that great. Or, or, or all that well, I should say. Mm. He, 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 you mentioned oil, and this is great. He writes this. Remember, this is 100 years ago. The chances of growth for the valley lie in the probabilities of finding oil in paying quantities and mm. in the extension of railroad lines. Hmm. Right? Uh, and, yeah. and that seems great. I mean, I remember that between Lovington and Hobbs. And you have that's the right. big railroad that's right there next to the highway. That's exactly and right. halfway in between the two towns, you have the big refinery. Yeah. So you, it seems like he's speaking prophetically. Yeah, he really is there, yes. Except he's not. He says, at present, neither seems immediately probable. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, he's a real, he, he, he has to like downplay everything. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Apparently, back then, People were talking about railroads, but they hadn't been built yet. He complains about it for a few sentences there. Hmm. All right. Now, he's going to talk about the churches, which is really what we're interested in. 
Almost every kind of church is to be found in this area. Wherever enough people to support a pastor are found, there one will also find one or two churches. Hmm. I wonder if that's true today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it was true in his time. I mean, I'm just not yeah. so sure. I think that you have whole communities nowadays that, of, uh, as the saying goes, of unchurched people. And those people don't even care, right? No, yeah. Uh, any churches that might be in that area were, were founded decades ago, I'd say. Hmm. Although there, is, there, is, there yeah. are some instances where newer churches, you know, when, when they're looking to relocate, will move to these newer areas. Yeah. I, here's an aside. Uh, I thought that I would try some missionary work like this in, uh, in Aurora, Colorado where I came from. Uh, that was mm-hmm. where my first call was to. Okay. And I didn't know how else to do this other than to do the hard work of door to door knocking and saying, Hey, I'm a pastor. Are you Lutherans? There should be a Lutheran church out here because there are thousands and thousands of people out here, but no church. Right. And these are the, and these folks were middle, you know, middle-class folks uh, who had been flocking to the Denver area for work from all over the country. Right. Sure. Presumably, you could find a handful of Lutherans in there mm-hmm. uh, from the Midwest. Well, as I knocked on doors, the first thing I noticed is that that's it's uh, uh, folks really hate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You would see women running outside, gra- gathering up their babies and going through the front door before that you could hear the bolt slam home. Yeah, right, the, right. Close immediately. And. Yeah. And I, it wasn't like I was out there looking like a Jehovah's Witness wearing, you know, like uh, uh, casual clothes or like a Mormon wearing a, you know, white shirt and a black tie. Oh, I was wearing my pastor clerical. And I'm thinking everybody has to love a pastor. No. Well, for some people that could be scarier. So. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so I handed out a lot of pamphlets. I had a lot of conversations. I even had uh, some. I remember there was these the, these few guys who worked for. Uh, uh, one of these big oil companies that was bringing in folks to work in uh, the Denver area. Mm. And uh, they were drinking beer in their garage. And I was walking by and they said, Hey, do you want to have a beer with us? And they start laughing. And then I walk over and I say, yes. And they're like, Oh, well, and then it was an awkward 20 minutes of me, you know, drinking my beer, quenching my thirst right. and smiling at them and asking them, questions about you know what church do they grow up in and stuff like this yeah yeah oh, that's great <laughs> and then at the end of it this is but the sad thing was at the end of that conversation i realized uh, a lot of these guys uh, that fo- a lot of folks nowadays is, is to speak about the secularization of our overall society a lot of these folks they don't even think of their lives in terms of going to church or bringing up their families with that i mean so it's becoming very rare Mm-hmm. Or in our case, where we still, you know, tend the flocks entrusted to our care, it's a precious thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Hmm. All right, Pastor Umbach continue, continues to write, uh, the Catholics, Baptists, Christians, I don't know what that means, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Church of Christ, Methodists, and Presbyterians are more numerous. Besides these, one finds Nazarenes, Holy Rollers. Is that a technical term? I love it. I hope so. <laughs> Episcopalians, 
Seventh-day Adventists, Christian scientists, and mm. the Salvation Army. Mm. Many of these church bodies have splendid church buildings. Hmm. hmm. All right. He well, writes – yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that you know this, this was written before Hobbes was founded, but it, it does sound exactly like Hobbes. Hmm. So that, that does continue. Where did the Lutherans come from? I mean, it's really a, a mystery to me. It is interesting. After the churches, the next thing that he talks about, after the, this description of the churches where you apparently have no Lutherans, he, he talks about the lodges. He says, there are a large number of lodges represented. Many of the people who profess to be Lutherans stand high in the lodge. Huh. Practically the whole valley, like much of the West, is honeycombed with lodges. Do you think that's still true? I, I'm not sure anywhere is really honeycombed with lodges, would you say? It is a thing where across the street from us, anyone who is a member at Emmanuel Lutheran Church here knows that there's a Masonic Lodge. Okay. Uh, they have a pretty nice modern building. Yeah. The thing that weirds me out about it is that I never see folks over there. Oh, sure, sure. You know, and so like you always see folks pulling in and out of our church park parking lot, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because we have a school. But whenever you look at whenever I look at the lodge, I always look for cars or activity and it's eerily silent. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Now, now we could, do have, I, now that mm -hmm. I think about it in Hobbes, we do have uh, Shriners, I believe they are with, with the fezes. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose they are yeah. those. Did you ever go to any of the, 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 the big Shriner temple in Indianapolis when you lived in Indiana? No, uh -uh. no, I, I, I didn't. <laughs> oh, man, it's good stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Uh, well, we should probably just mention a couple of things about why are the lodges problematic? What, what, what can you yeah. say about that? Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and, you know, they're not really very prominent nowadays, by and large. Um, but, of course lodges you know they, they they do have this kind of religious ethos to them uh, and it's it's a religious air about them that uh uh that we can't exactly get on board with because it, by and large it's 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 the the great architect of the universe that they uh, pay homage to and uh it's, it's of course very very works oriented uh and and secretive in its in its ways um uh, but but they do uh, they do allow pretty well anyone who 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 prays to any deity of any sort into their midst as as brothers right and so I mean of course ultimately the question of Christianity is is uh, what do you think about Jesus right and for them I, I don't believe and I could be wrong here I, I don't believe they say a whole lot about him. It's, it, what I think, what I think, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, the issue concerns oaths, solemn oaths. Oh yes, yes. Uh, and it, it, because you know, any any given lodge could have different takes on who and what God is. Right. We are most familiar with the Masons and their teaching of the Grand Architect of the Universe. To which right. all religions point. There's a kind of universalism that's there that's contrary to the Holy Scriptures. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be one thing if you if you had friend if you just kind of showed up there 
and, and had lunch. But I think the real sticking point is that they may, when you join their fraternal organization, various oaths are required. And those oaths that you swear are in direct contradiction to the promises made at baptism and reiterated yeah. at confirmation. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Uh, and, and so because of that, uh, if, if, if you join some kind of brotherhood, uh, not that that's really a popular thing to do anymore, but it does happen. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if you ever join an organization that requires various promises and oaths, uh, take your time to look at them. Ask yourself the mm -hmm. question, is this, is this con compatible? Is, does this agree with the other solemn promises that I've made in my life, especially uh, in baptism, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to uh, also the, 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 you know, other uh, solemn oaths like this would include the marital estate or the estate of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, you a fellowship or a brotherhood that somehow undermines, you know, the estate of the family and the promises that you've made to your wife or that your wife has made to you. And that really is a more, it's a, it's a more holistic look on your own life and realizing that, you know, your life does center around, around Christ and, and, and the church and, and the, and your baptism and all of this, uh, and understanding that that does, it does affect all of you, not just you on Sunday mornings, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, we, we, uh, what we promise on Sunday and the, in the, in the way we live our lives, the family that we have, that it all belongs to our Christian confession of faith. All mm -hmm. of it. That's right. And, and so we take it all very seriously. Hmm. Now, okay, so he goes on to talk about, uh, Pastor Umbach, uh, he goes on to talk about uh, whether or not we can find uh, ethnically Lutheran people. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's where you're going to start, right? Where are the Germans? Those are presumably the folks who would already have some kind of nominal connection to the Lutheran church, even if right. it's not a real spiritual connection. It has nothing to do with the confession of faith, right? Yeah, that's right. He writes, nowhere in the entire valley do we find a place where a single strong element exists, such as German, Swedish, Norwegian, or other uh, which could form a background for Lutheran work. Man, this guy, uh, he's depressing me right now. There's... <laughs> he writes, people from the Synodical Conference. Now, back then, what belonged to the Synodical Conference in 1921? That is a good question. Do, do you know that offhand? I, I Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, for sure, the Norwegian Synod, right? The ELF yeah. we today, and also the Wisconsin Synod. Yeah, as well as the the Missouri Synod, right? Yes. So uh, we were different synods, and yet we had fellowship, uh, and that was broken in the middle part of the twentieth century, which would be mm -hmm. an interesting conversation for another day. That would be. Yeah, he goes on to write: If we are to gain in numbers in our church, uh, turn the page here. Work such. Uh, 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 Let's start that sentence over again. If we are to gain in numbers in our church, work such, incre work such increase must come from those who are without a church. Uh, here mm. we must meet the competition of countless other religious organizations, which are all more or less well-established. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. hmm. It's kind of him, not, not, not sheep stealing, right? Bringing yeah. in others from other denominations or, or so, enticing them away from their 
from their faith. Yeah, he doesn't talk about that. He, he, uh, so this isn't about grabbing people from their churches. This is about finding the folks who don't have churches. That's right. And, and then say, hey, you should be a Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And he says that the other churches, uh, this is the depressing thing. He said back then, all the other churches are like five steps ahead of us. They're already established. They're already working this group of people. Mm-hmm. And, which would make you think that there's... No place for the Lutherans to start. Yeah, right. Hmm. And so he says, the only thing that I could think to do is to, that he says, the sole means left would be to do a house-to-house canvas. And this promises little results as the majority of people are well acquainted with their neighbor's affairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. That's, you know, uh, I I would say that house-to-house canvassing doesn't necessarily bring out results uh, like he's saying there however for different reasons it's, it's not necessarily that neighbors know neighbors affairs hmm. Hmm. now this is near and dear to my heart he's going to say a handful of things here about roswell and this makes me okay. a little bit a little uh, laugh a little bit because it, it, roswell has the i think the numerically largest congregation in the pecos circuit we have the I most members so, yeah. uh mm-hmm. We have, uh, we also have a, a five-day K through eight school, you know, mm-hmm. and I and I think this this may just be the pastor talking, but I think that the future of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell is is bright. We have everything going for us. The Lord has blessed us, and thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God. Now this is what he writes, Pastor Umbach. Roswell appears to appears least of all to be a favorable place for Lutheran mission work. <laughs> Uh, uh, least of all even oh i love it of all the towns in in the pecos valley right yeah (laughs) your missionary has found but few lutheran families and but one man from the synodical conference Hmm. a tubercular patient who is at present bedridden so the only guy he could find (laughs) the synodical conference is like all dying right Here I held four services. That's it. The attendance was as follows. Uh, Now, now listen to these numbers. Uh, Mm. 17 adults, 18 adults, 13 adults, 14 adults. That's not bad. That's really not bad, no. Man, he he had his uh, ambitions pretty high, I would think. He did. He was expecting Midwestern-sized congregations. I guess so. Uh, Pastor Umbach goes on to write, of these, several are here for the winter months only. And unless Mm. new material develops, the attendance in summertime will be smaller. Many who have attended services are lodge members. Uh, (laughs) I I would not have expected that in the 1920s there were that many snowbirds. I know, right? But apparently there were. I mean, if if there was a a railway connecting Roswell... Uh, well, that's true. more. Yeah, and I bet there was. I, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, okay. So he goes on to write about Roswell. Roswell presents conditions peculiar to itself. These conditions will make the establishment of a Lutheran church here very difficult, well nigh impossible. <laughs> uh. Until two years ago, a church affiliated with. Now, this is a great story that he goes on to tell here about this. It turns out all his talk about no, no Lutherans being here isn't quite accurate. 
Uh, because the, because of the story that he's about to tell. This is interesting. Until two years ago, a church affiliated with the General Synod was established here. What can you tell us about the General Synod? Why, why are they different from the Synodical Conference? Oh, boy, you're really testing my church history foreknowledge today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm embarrassed. So these would have been like a, a collection of synods in the eastern part of the United States who had settled here long before the Saxons in the middle part of the 1800s, right? Yeah, that's right. And if what I, what I can remember is correct, they, they held their doctrines just a small bit looser than we tend to hold ours. Is that right? They, they, they agreed more on, on only those most fundamental doctrines. Is, is that yeah. correct? Or there were, uh, perhaps the right thing to say there is that there were more individuals from the General Synod, more pastors and theologians who were willing to seek out a kind of nominal concord, even with uh, non-Lutheran churches like Methodists, so that they would, it wouldn't be surprising to find their pastors of the General Synod advocating for a kind of pulpit or even an altar fellowship with other Protestant denominations in the United States. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so maybe that's why he didn't count them as Lutherans. <laughs> I, 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 it would make sense, yeah. <laughs> okay, he goes on to write, the greater number of so-called Lutherans here at present were members of that church. Through inner strife, lack of funds, and charges of pro-Germanism, remember, this is right on the heels of World War I, uh-huh. this church was destroyed. Wow. Many of the former members do not care to be connected with any Lutheran work at all anymore. Oh, that's Some fascinating. have joined sectarian churches in their intervening years. Wow. Uh, that, I think that's something that we don't even fully understand is how Lutheranism fared through both world wars. That's such a huge topic. And, and so many of the uh, uh, things that attack the church nowadays that we're struggling with. We throw up our hands and saying, oh, our, whoa, our secular modern times. We don't have any monies. There's inner strife. Uh-huh. I mean, people still complain about us being an ethnically German church, right? Right, right, right. We're not uh, multicultural enough. These uh, are the same exact things that they were dealing with back then. Nothing new under the sun. And, and, and it came even at the, the expense of losing the only Lutheran church that had been here in Roswell. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. And that was, that, now this is interesting to me. He said that that was primarily inner strife, internal strife? Yes. Okay, so it was from themselves. It wasn't even, it, well, perhaps it was uh, a little bit from outside, but, but it does seem to have imploded on itself then, not, not been bombarded from the outside necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so like you said, nothing new under, uh, under the sun. It's not like in the past the churches... Uh, and the members of churches were that much more kind and, and compassionate yeah. towards one another. They had the same problems as we do. Right, right. And unless you find a way to overcome those same, those same problems by means of preaching the gospel, forgiving sins, you know, uh, I mean, we, we, there's no church that's exempt from what the devil yeah. can do. That's exactly right. Hmm. All right, he goes on to write, this church, despite the fact that it was ready to admit almost any person... <laughs> Huh. Well, there you go. This is a comment on not having closed communion. Uh, yes, I mean, you, you could have, the, this could have been written by a pastor today 
yes. uh, commenting on the, the ELCA church in town that just closed. Huh. The already, ELCA he's... church in Roswell that closed. Yeah. So uh, it was ready to admit almost any person, yet during its seven years' existence, remained comparatively small. A church of the strong confessional type of the Missouri Synod would be placed under many handicaps in gaining new members, which the General Synod Church did not feel. And he's talking about, uh, yes, we say you have to learn your catechism. Not only do you have to learn your catechism, you have to, you have to make solemn oaths and promises before the congregation at confirmation that mm-hmm. you will not depart from this teaching even unto death. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He said, uh, Dr. Uh, Srill, C-R-I-L-E, one of the former mm-hmm. pastors of this church, still resides in Roswell and enjoys the high esteem of all persons. Hmm. He has never actively opposed our work, neither will he favor it. His lack of interest influences many people. Hmm. <laughs> the wife of another former pastor of this church also makes her home in Roswell and will have naught to do with our work. Their influence, this is the dismal German sentence at the end. Yeah, that's right. Their influence is detrimental. (laughs) That is fascinating. Wow. Yeah, so uh, he talks about the, he goes on to describe the difficulty of of trying to catechize people who are entrenched in the lodges, how hard it's going to be to to extricate them from that, from their influence. And so he says that the present Lutheran element in Roswell is a negligible factor. It's corrupted by the lodge, spoiled by the troubles of the former general synod. There are no members of the synodical conference. And indications point to the, uh, point to the fact that no rapid growth of the city can be expected. Huh. So he clearly did not found a manual in Roswell there then. No, but he started preaching the gospel here. He did. Laying those seeds. Well, I mean, this is so. This is something that I mean. Thanks be to God for the work of pa- of Pastor Umbach, because he was here preaching the Holy Gospel, uh, and and uh, believe it or not, despite his own misgivings and his own doubts, within ten years, Emmanuel Luther Church in Roswell was founded. Within ten years, wow, that's yes. astounding. Huh. By 19, I think it's by 1931. I could be wrong. We'll, we'll double check this on, on future episodes where we talk more individually about the history of, of, con, of congregations. But, but it didn't take long for Emmanuel to both be established and to prosper. You know? That is astounding. That really is. Okay. Now, I know you want to hear about Lovington. And he gives... He's got something in there then. He has like four sentences. Oh, okay. Good. And this is what uh, Pastor Umbach writes. Lovington is the county seat of Lee County. It's tr- still true today, I assume. Mm-hmm. A county without a single railroad. <laughs> its population is about 600. What is it today? Wow. Today it sits around 11,000. Wow. Yeah. There are no other towns of any size in Lee County. Wow. Now, why is that straight? Now, 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 everybody who's listening in here that lives here in the Pecos Valley is laughing. Why? There's a good amount of, of towns here now, especially Hobbs, which is quite a bit larger now. Right. And it wasn't, I'm not sure it really was anything. In fact, by 1920, I'm not sure Hobbs was even founded. It was in the 20s that it was founded, but not huh. quite by 1920. 
So that's very interesting. Hmm. All right. So your missionary made one trip of exploration to Lovington, but could find no Lutherans. Neither there mm. nor at Tatum, a little hamlet en route. Hmm. Now, from what I have spoken, from what little I've spoken with parishioners here, it wasn't until closer to uh, maybe the 40s or even the 50s, late 40s, I think it maybe was, that, that Lutherans started moving to the Lovington area. I'm not sure about Hobbes. I know that Hobbes, uh, Grace and Hobbes was founded around the same time. So I'd assume that holds true for them also. Huh. Look at, okay, um, I'm going to jump right down uh, to his, uh, his final sort of exclamation mark conclusion. Okay. And he's talking about the Pecos Valley in general, not just Roswell here. He's saying a self-supporting congregation is at present not to be thought of huh. and perhaps should not materialize even in 50 years. Huh. <laughs> well, thanks be to God he was wrong about that. I know. It's astounding, though, because within 10 years, Emmanuel and Roswell was founded. And within 20 or so years, at least Lovington and Hobbes were, were founded. So I don't know about the others. Carlsbad, Artesia, Portales, Clovis, Rudosa. Oh. Hmm. Amazing. Well, I suppose, you know, as I think of it now, uh, it wasn't long afterward that oil was uh, discovered here in southeast New Mexico. I wonder if that was really the catalyst. Uh, that brought people from, say, even some of the German Lutherans that settled in Texas, you know, around the Fredericksburg area, that brought them out this way, uh, and, and others. Yeah, I, I mean, so this will be great. I have uh, some more documentation and some more detailed uh, written uh, uh, re different records. In fact, I have this uh, historical sketch of the Lutheran Church in New Mexico from 1892 to 1943. Hmm. And that was written by uh, 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 Pastor Schmid, uh, the pastor, uh, pastor here in Roswell. Oh, okay. and, and that will prove to be very interesting as we continue to, to look into the, the history here. Because, yeah. we, you know, uh, because Pastor er, uh, Umbach saw things in this pretty sad light. But at the same time, the Lord is able to see further than any man can see, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and he's able to do things that man can't even imagine. And so it was far beyond the pole of possibility. But probably we would be right to say that within 50 years, the Lutheran Church in the Pecos Valley was probably at its height. Sure. It was during those years that I think Emmanuel here in Roswell was even looking at planting a new church, you know, here in town. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I know we, we had expanded our, our sanctuaries by the... By the 80s, I suppose it was. So, yeah, that was a heyday, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fantastic. That went a little bit longer than I was hoping for. Maybe this would, uh, is almost yeah. an episode unto itself. Yeah, it's, I, think it, I think it really is. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, think about, I think what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll pull the plug on this particular episode. We'll call it a day. And uh, we'll mm -hmm. smash the bottle of champagne against the side of our, our desks or laptops and say, we've done it. <laughs> we've launched the I first episode. <laughs> and it. we'll probably, you wanna... if this sounds good to, to uh, Kyle, uh, to Pastor Brown here, we will try to do another episode coming up quickly concerning the Ascension and uh, yes. the great joy of the Ascension for us as Lutherans and how that uh, 
directs and guides our, our preaching and prayers, especially this month. That's exactly right. It's coming up here toward the end of May that we'll be celebrating the Ascension. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, What day is it going to be on, in, in, in case you have a special service for Ascension? So it, it, Ascension itself falls on May 21st. Uh, we typically do not hold uh, midweek services, so I think that we will be moving, uh, at least at Grace and Hobbs and Our Savior in Lovington, we'll be moving it to the following Sunday, Okay, which be May 24th. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, that in the past, we here at Emmanuel and Roswell uh, celebrated the Ascension on the day of the Ascension, just like we do on as, as often as we can, the major Christological feasts of the year. So the feasts that concern the life, uh, death, and resurrection and Ascension of Christ, we try to have special services for those. Um, Perfect. We'll see, though, with the current COVID crisis, who knows what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to say. It really is. Yeah. Okay, uh, a couple of news and notes. Uh, the, uh, this month's Winkle of the Pecos Circuit will be taking place here at, at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell on the 11th of, uh, of this month, May. And it, every Winkle starts off with a matin service where one of the pastors uh, preaches for the benefit of the pastors, but not just of the benefit of the pastors. I would invite everybody in the circuit, if you are able and if you would li- like to come by, Please come and attend that service. Uh, the pastors love to preach to as many people as possible. And so your presence there would be a great encouragement. That's right. So matins on May 11th. And at what time? Uh, what time do we do it? Is it? Let's say 9 a.m. I think that's it. Okay. That sounds perfect. And then the Catechism Retreat at Lutheran Valley Retreat up in Colorado. That's going to be happening at the end of June. Uh, I have not yet canceled this, which means that I'm still actively planning for it. Uh, It's going to be Monday, June the 22nd through Thursday, June the 25th. The theme is the Lord's Prayer. The students uh, ages 10 through 18 are are invited to come. Most retreaters are ages 11 through 14, you know, middle school is age to give you an idea. And the cost per camper is going to be 245 bucks per camper, which is really a bargain compared to other retreats that you find out there, you know. That's true. Uh, I'll be getting a van and driving a bunch of kids up there. And so talk to your pastor, get them interested, uh, and uh, get them to, maybe we could all caravan up there from the Pecos to go hang out in the mountains for a while. And, and remind me, where is it actually located? Lutheran Valley Retreat is in the Pike National Forest, uh, and that's near the town of Divide, Colorado. Good. It's uh, a good seven hours away from Roswell which isn't okay. bad by Western standards. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm learning that. I'm learning that. Yeah. I mean, if you're within six hours of a place that you're, they're, they're almost next door neighbors. So yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. That's all I have for news and notes. Uh, do you have anything else, Pastor Brown? I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that's about it. So very good. Well, thanks for tuning in and listening to voice of the Pecos. We'll hope to, Uh, speak to you again soon. God's peace be with you all. Goodbye.